You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I am your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. I am very pleased to get back behind the mic here. I've had about a month layoff from my last podcast as I've uh, made some changes within my life. Um, I have decided to move away from what was somewhat of a more sole practitioner world to rejoin a a wonderful firm here in Alberta, um, Stringham LLP. And so now I am a proud member of this fine firm, and I'm hoping with the extra support that they will be able to provide from a back office standpoint and and, uh, dealing with all of the day-to-day administrative matters that I'll be able to have even more time to do this podcast and focus on the thing that I love most, which is the practice of immigration law. So very pleased to have um, this new opportunity and and a new change professionally. In uh, maybe future episodes, I'll share a little bit more insight on the decisions that I made and I guess the rationale and thought processes that resulted in me making this change. But um, at this stage, it's been wonderful. They're a fantastic firm and I guess one of the main advantages I have now is that I've got a full team of lawyers that do all kinds of different areas of the law, which affords me greater services to my uh, my clients as they come in. So we'll see, and I'm sure many of you have uh, have made similar decisions uh, to, to me, and I know a lot of my colleagues out there have. You know, many of them have joined uh, some of the you know big four accounting firms and the larger immigration uh, shops out there, and and uh, there's not too many of us out there anymore that. Um, are, are toiling away as, as sole practitioners within the world of Canadian immigration law um, on the lawyer side of things. So yeah, it's a new, a new change. I'm really looking forward to it. Today's episode is uh, one that I have been working on for many months. And uh, my guest is Sarah Fagan, who is um, a lawyer practicing in the province of Ontario with the law firm of Rakai LLP. And uh, you will remember I had Peter Rakai on to talk about the Entrepreneur uh, Permanent Resident Programs a few episodes back. Sarah is um, has a very unique story. You're going to love hearing how she ended up here. She's, uh, she's an Irish citizen and uh, a Canadian immigration lawyer right now. And the path that she took to get here is going to be unbelievably inspiring to some of you out there who are listening to the podcast, who are uh, citizens of other countries looking to immigrate to Canada and just wondering if it's really possible. And we hear stories all the time about people who um, manage to qualify through express entry, immigrate to Canada, and then can't find a job, really struggle getting settled and integrated. And you would think, okay, someone coming from Europe speaks English. It's going to be a simple, uh, simple, smooth transition. It'll be easy to get a job. And you will learn very clearly that that is not the case. And so um, 
you know, regardless of what country you come from, everybody faces obstacles, but it's what you do with those obstacles and uh, your perseverance that makes the difference. And that was the case with Sarah. So super excited to have her join me. We are going to be talking about the Ontario Immigrant Nominee Program. And uh, we intended to, to do this a couple months ago, but we were waiting on a recent announcement from, from the OINP as to uh, new programs being opened up again. And then there was a brief period where they did, but there's still changes that need to be made. And as some of you who are familiar with the program know, uh, some of the base streams are still closed because of um, some uh, attempts that the, gov- that the government in Ontario is making to go to more of an online filing system. So Sarah comes on to share some wonderful insight about this, and uh, you will just love this episode. So without further ado, uh, let's jump to that interview with Sarah Fagan. All right, I am here with my good friend and colleague, Sarah Fagan. Sarah practices in the beautiful city of Toronto uh, with the, the firm of Rakai LLP. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks very much, Mark. It's great to uh, be with you on the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Awesome. Um, Sarah and I have been uh, dancing around for the last couple months trying to uh, get together to do this podcast on the Ontario Immigrant Nominee Program. But it's it's interesting. Uh, we waited for a while for this big announcement and all these changes and everything. And, and um, you know, we'll have a little bit to talk about for sure, uh, for sure today. And I'm grateful to have Sarah with us. Um, but like most of the provincial nominee programs, there's not a lot going on. And so there's lots of talk about changes and improvements and things that are going to be rolled out. And I, I know um, uh, there's definitely some things that are planned uh, here in the, the near future with the, with the ONP. But ultimately, uh, we will talk about kind of the way things are right now. How does that sound, Sarah? That sounds great. All right. Well, before we get started, I, I thought maybe I'd introduce you a little bit to our listeners. Um, uh, Sarah's story is is awesome, really cool. And I think uh, many of you who are listening, whether you're lawyers or, or whether you are uh, individual uh, foreign nationals looking to immigrate to Canada or otherwise, um, her story is probably going to resonate with, with some of you. Um, Sarah was actually admitted as a, a lawyer in, in Ireland. Um, and I think that was back in 2009. That's correct. Why don't you tell a little bit about that process and, you know, and um, uh, working and and being, you know, um, a lawyer in Ireland and and how it led up to you actually coming to Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my pleasure, Mark. Um, So uh, I studied studied law in Dublin and um, in Ireland, the bar is completely divided between the solicitors and uh, barristers uh, professions. So I chose to become a solicitor. Um, which was a fairly lengthy route, but um, I made it there. And at the beginning of 2009, I qualified. But around that time, things in Ireland with the economy um, were really not in good shape at all. So we basically had a situation where there were the um, the profession was oversubscribed and there were a lot of um, lawyers losing their jobs, unfortunately. So jobs that would have traditionally been... Um, you know, only really of interest to new calls were suddenly of interest to um, to lawyers with several years of experience behind them. So it was sort of a no brainer for employers to let go of the new calls um, and maybe then, you know, benefit from lawyers with more years of experience in those roles. So essentially it resulted in a lot of people, a lot of new lawyers um, being out of work. And I mean, this applied to many, many occupations in Ireland. Um, so I... Uh, 
thought, you know, okay, I'm going to look at this as an opportunity to travel and um, take some time out. And I considered both Australia and Canada. Um, and I had actually been to Canada before. I had been fortunate enough to spend a Christmas in Whistler back in 2005, and I completely fell in love with the place. And um, I thought I'd really like to go back and spend um, a winter on the slopes. And uh, the the Winter Olympics were coming up the following year um, in, in 2010. So I sort of thought, oh, you know, there's this IEC working holiday program work permit. And at the time, that was a 12-month work permit. And um, I didn't really know anything about immigration at all at that time, Mark. So it was really just me availing of this uh, work permit that was available to me and thinking I would go on a Canadian adventure and ideally forget all about law. I had no intention of doing any more exams. And I just wanted to go and have a good time. Um, <laughs> But life, uh, I did have a good time, but it wasn't the good time that I was expecting to have. And, you know, life is full of surprises. So in actual fact, I never made it out west. I landed in Toronto and I stayed in Toronto. Um, and I went through various work permit sort of routes to extending my work permit, followed by um, my PR, which was actually through the provincial nominee program. And eventually I got my Canadian citizenship. So... Um, I'm here eight years next month, and um, and I I really have had a fantastic time in Canada, and uh, and I'm a very proud Canadian. So awesome. Okay, so let's take a step back here. So you intended on going to Whistler to do some skiing, mm -hmm. and you ended up in Toronto uh, somehow getting connected with uh, I'm presuming a law firm and and going that route. So what happened? Well, I thought I'd spend the summer in Toronto and I was hoping to get into a law firm, even just to do some admin work. Um, but at the beginning, I found it extremely difficult as a lot of, um, you know, uh, foreign workers who come to Canada with, say, an open work permit to secure work. And I actually handed out about 150 resumes before I got a job as a server. I had no serving experience and I basically just got the job because I walked into a place where they'd had a good experience with Irish workers previously and thought they'd give me a shot. Um, but and in this the is someone with a law degree. See, and, and this is sometimes I've got clients that feel, oh, we're being singled out and our country is, you know, citizens of our country do not get the same opportunities that, say, someone from Europe gets. And I get that quite a bit. And so you are officially re rebutting all of those <laughs> <laughs> those assumptions and so right. you had you had a slog at the beginning yourself well i learned loads about different types of eggs mark because i worked in a breakfast joint and there was something <laughs> like 35 different egg dishes and i had never even heard about over easy hard and medium before i came here it was just a fried egg in ireland so um i learned a lot and i worked with some great people and um you know uh quickly noticed just how multicultural it is even in the workplaces here um, so all the chefs in the kitchen were Sri Lankan and there was a there were various different um, uh, individuals from various different uh, ethnicities and uh, cultures and nationalities etc even just in working in that breakfast joint so I, I it was it was a good starting point but what actually happened is I um, I took a sublet and the individual uh, I let, I took the sublet from was a partner in Baker McKenzie down on uh, in Toronto, and he actually was at the time head of their student recruitment program. So 
I handed him my resume and sort of forgot about it. Um, but then they followed up with me about a month later. And what had happened is they were bringing in some new insolvency uh, law lawyers. Um, and I had a background in banking and in and then subsequently insolvency in Ireland due to the you know the basically due to the financial crash. Um, I worked in banking and we got involved in enforcing the bank's security in certain cases. So it appealed to them. I was like, I was working as a legal secretary, but I guess it appealed to them that I had this background in the practice area that these practitioners were uh, specializing in. So, um, so that's sort of how I got in the door um, to a law firm in Toronto. And the lawyers there were just astonished. They just couldn't understand how someone who was a qualified lawyer would want to come into a firm and work as a legal secretary because they didn't honestly I don't think there was an understanding at that time maybe about how things were in Ireland or how difficult it was and and not everybody is aware of how difficult it is for immigrants to just um, initially get off you know it's basically just to get a foot in the door and get started get, be given a chance here when you don't really have any Canadian work experience under your belt so um, so I was I was working there over the summer. It was just a short-term contract that was kind of getting extended and, and things weren't getting any better in Ireland. So by no, by the time November came, I sort of thought, you know what, I need to figure out immigration. I need to start thinking about this. I hadn't really thought about it at all. And my IEC at the time, it was 12 months and, it, and there was no extension or anything like that. The The Irish IEC program is, um, is more generous now than it was back then. Um, so there was a lawyer, an immigration lawyer in the firm whose name was Alan Diner, who's mm -hmm. now Justice Diner. <clears throat> and um, Alan um, was, you know, has always been a very a friendly and, and helpful guy. And he, he's so, awesome. Alan, uh, Justice Diner has always been just, just phenomenal. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, just, just a really, really good person. So it does not surprise me at all that a good, kind, decent person would gravitate and recognize the value in another good, kind, decent person that you are. So that connection does not surprise me at all. Well, basically what happened is I went to ask Alan for some immigration advice. And before I knew it, he had hired me because he was <laughs> looking for an assistant. So I had then moved from the corporate group to the labor and employment group, which included um, uh, which included immigration and and you know at that point I, I really was tiring a little of the administrative work and and with Alan I I moved into an, an immigration clerk role so I was getting getting some substantive experience and I had also I gradually began to turn my my mind to requalifying here so I sort of saw it as an opportunity to gain some experience in a new practice area without having to commit to that practice area yet mm -hmm. so it benefited everyone um, but ultimately, we still had this issue of my work permit expiring. So um, I actually had two failed LMOs, as they were back then. <laughs> you know, the first time around, there was an issue. We corrected the issue. We refiled. And the next time around, there was another issue. So at that point, um, it just wasn't happening because essentially I was in a knock B for it was the legal assistant law clerk knock B. And there were a lot of unemployed uh, Canadians in that position. So it, it, it wasn't going to work out. So after that, we went down the um, the Ontario PNP route, and um, I had a it was the foreign worker with job offer stream, and um, that's how I secured my permanent residence and my ability to continue working here. And then I turned my mind to requalifying over here, which is also a fairly lengthy process. But um, I was fortunate enough in that I didn't have to go back to law school. 
Uh, I had to do some more studies and exams before I could engage in the bar process. Um, but I also worked as an immigration clerk that entire time. So when it came to having to article, I was able to apply to have my articles abridged. So I, I did five months instead of 10, which was quite nice, at least to sort of get some reap some benefit from um, from several years of work here at that point. And uh, then after I qualified, I um, I moved to uh, Rakai LLP, which is a boutique uh, corporate immigration law firm. And uh, I'm very fortunate again, just to have fantastic colleagues here and uh, and great mentorship from, from Peter and Eleanor. That is awesome. I absolutely love that story. So practicing, <laughs> practicing a solicitor in Ireland, to Canadian server in a um, <laughs> a breakfast uh, kind of breakfast joint, yeah. a breakfast joint to you know just seizing the opportunities as they came and and clearly um, you know with with the the wonderful story that you have and I think it's really cool and you know I, I know that um, many of my listeners will you know it will give them inspiration it really will that you know it is possible and you can do it. And, uh, you know, the, in the time that I've, I've known you, Sarah, <clears throat> right from the first time I met, um, I think we talked about this, I think it was at the Canadian Bar Association's National Conference in, in Montreal. We had uh, mutual, mutual friends that kind of connected us. Um, I was always impressed with you. And uh, it's, it's just so cool to see how everything, un, you know, everything uh, kind of un, um, uh, came about. So... Thanks so much for sharing that. That is that is awesome. And you know, usually a question I ask a lot of my guests is, "Well, how did you get into immigration?" Well, you've you've pretty much answered that. So <clears throat> I think, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like most of uh, most of my guests, it wasn't something that we sought after. It just as things uh, evolve and and as opportunities arise, uh, we mm-hmm. kind of fall into it. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely fell into it. And even when I was saying to you, I actually come from um, my my parents are, are in in the healthcare profession, and so medical law was appealed, to, but it wasn't something I did in in Ireland, mm-hmm. like, apart from studying it. So I I sort of thought maybe that was something I'd be interested in doing because I did find um, I love immigration now, um, but I found it difficult at the beginning. It's a it's a steep learning curve. It's fast paced. Um, and it certainly was challenging. You know, it's I mean, some of my challenges may have been related to adjusting to a new country, a new culture, um, homesickness, various. There were lots of different things and also trying to study as well as working full time. Um, but it, once it sort of clicked, um, I I just I fell in love with it. And, and by the time I reached the articling point, you know, I had no doubts whatsoever that that was what I wanted to do. And, and I was fortunate enough that I was able to just focus on immigration when I when I articled. And uh, yeah, I haven't looked back. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. OK, well, I think our listeners are ready for us to jump into our topic. And like I, uh, I indicated in the introduction, this is going to be more of a 10,000 foot level discussion about the program with uh, interspersed little um, tips and strategies on, on some of the challenges people face as they navigate some of these individual programs. But um, can you give us just a little bit of an introduction? You know, we, we take for granted, you and I talking, that everybody knows what the Ontario Immigrant Nominee Program is or the Ontario PNP. Can you give a little bit of an overview as to what essentially what, what the program is and, and what purpose it serves? 
So, um, so the program is a program basically um, whereby the province of Ontario can nominate individuals for permanent residence, and with some of those programs, there's also work authorization attached. So, if there's, um, say, an employer, uh, if it's an employer stream, then the individual also has the ability to work in Ontario while their permanent residence application is underway. Um, so the province gets a certain number of spots from the federal government every year, um, and they have that many spots. Those are all their nomination spots, um, you know. But a nominee could be accompanied by family members as well. So each nomination, a single nomination, could include an entire family immigrating to the province. Um, and this year, for 2017, they have their largest number of nomination spots to date, and the number is uh, 6,000. Which is actually divided up between express entry and their non-express entry programs. So um, there are 2,500 spots that are allocated specifically to the express entry-related programs, and then there are 3,500 spots that are just um, broken up amongst all their other programs. But they don't actually give the specifics in terms of how many spots are allocated to each of those um, other programs. Can you give us a little rundown of, of the types of programs that are available? Absolutely. So under the express entry streams, there's a French-speaking skilled worker, and then there's um, a program that's called a human capital priority stream. They're both the express entry uh, streams. Then there's a master's and PhD graduate stream. Well, there, are, there are two streams as well, but they're, they're for uh, graduates from, um, from courses, master's and PhD courses within Ontario. Um, there's a foreign worker with a job offer, so that's an employer-driven stream where an employer wants to um, hire a foreign worker and is making them um, a full-time job offer. Uh, there's also a similar stream for an international graduate who has a job offer, and then there's an entrepreneur and a corporate stream. So of these streams, which are the ones that are the most you know, highly sought after or most utilized? Um, the human capital priority stream and um, the master's and PhD graduate streams are actually very popular as well. Um, French-speaking skilled worker um, would is is also one of their most popular streams, and then there would be the foreign worker with job offer and the international graduate with job offer. But those those are essentially um, the foreign worker with job offer and the international graduate with job offer. Those are what used to be referred to as the base streams. Um, so they're outside of express entry and they're actually currently on hold mark um, because the Ontario Immigrant Nominee Program is moving all of its streams over to an online system. So they, they were traditionally paper-based applications and um, they're currently, they're sort of rolling them out one by one. So at the moment they're working on um, the tech side to roll out the new electronic system for the essentially the employer-driven streams. Um, we don't know exactly when uh, when they will be rolled out. We're hoping it'll be you know around May, June, but there really is no definite indication there. The only indication has been that of those 3,500 spots, you know, they're not going to be used up amongst all the other programs. So we're not going to have a situation where potentially the 3,500 spots could be used up before these these the rollout out of these electronic versions of the uh, employer-driven streams um, occurs. Gotcha. And so that was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you of these total allocations. You know how they 
how they divide them up, how they allocate them between programs. So they do, do they have a set number that is earmarked for the human, human capital priority streams and, and, you know, for this French speaking skilled worker stream, do they have a certain number of, of allocations assigned to each of those or are they kind of generally um, just spread around? It's 2,500 for the express entry related streams, but I, but they have, they don't provide mm-hmm. the actual breakdown between the French and the human capital priority stream. Um, and then it's 3,500 for all the rest essentially. So, uh, I mean, it has been suggested to the program, um, that they consider giving the breakdown, um, the way other programs such as Alberta and BC. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it hasn't happened yet, and there seems to be um, some reluctance for various reasons. Um, but certainly, you know, the um, the Ontario Bar Association has made submissions and suggestions, um, and and they are open to feedback. They're absolutely looking at how they can improve their program, and um, you know, introduce a greater level of. Uh, transparency um, and hopefully I mean the idea behind going online is to improve their efficiencies um, I know that they have looked up models that have seemed to be more effective such as the BC program um, and they're taking you know they're they're looking at those programs in terms of trying to make improvements to their own programs so um, I mean, the most difficult thing about the OINP right now is determining timelines because uh, they traditionally indicated that their timelines were certain specific um, amounts. So generally, and and, and uh, Sarah, you're you're saying that maybe those timelines weren't entirely accurate or current. <laughs> that's exactly that is exactly <laughs> what I'm getting at, Mark. Um, can, can you give us a practical example just for our listeners? Well essentially for the most part the indication was that an application each so i should i should backtrack a little bit for the employer driven streams it's a two-stage process so the first stage is having the employer pre-screen approved and the second stage is the nomination application the processing of the nomination application in those instances the indication used to be that it would take 90 days for it would take 90 days for each um um, for for each stage to complete. Um, however, you know we've seen pre-screen applications that have taken well over a year. It really varies. Some of them were taking six months instead of ninety days, but essentially it was well in in excess of the ninety days. The same ninety-day processing time was indicated for um, the express entry streams and um, for the Ontario Human Capital stream. Um, we had several applications last year which took. 10, 11, 12 months to complete. Um, so obviously, I mean, that that can put someone in an extremely difficult position if, um, you know, they can't work here, if they're already here and their work permit has expired or they were hoping to be eligible for a bridging open work permit and then by the time the nomination comes through, you know, their, their work permit has expired, they're on a visitor record and essentially they have no option but to either, you know, to basically stay put and not work until their permanent residence complete. So it's definitely something to take into consideration if you're looking at these programs. Um, They've taken down any reference to any processing times right now because I guess they realized after last year that, you know, um, well, it it doesn't build up much confidence in the program if... um, if they're giving certain indications and then they're really not meeting those timelines and they're not only 
ex- they're not only slightly exceeding them, but really, I mean, it's taking three or four times more than they're saying it's going to take. It really just it's it's not positive, and it's it causes a lot of frustration. I think on 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 many sides. Oh, absolutely. And when I think about it, you know, when you're trying to to plan someone's life, and you're <clears throat> to some extent relying on the information that is posted in the public domain. And that information is clearly not accurate. Mm -hmm. And then to add on top of that, there's no indication or no means whereby someone can actually figure out where their application is at. Well, yeah, that frustration, disappointment, heartache is is just magnified. And it's interesting. I was listening to um, some of the uh, House of Commons uh, committees that that are are ongoing within the immigration world and... um, I was listening to some of the uh, some of the, uh, the the people that were asked to come and talk about um, improving client service within immigration. And uh, uh, Richard Curlin, who I've had on the podcast uh, back in January, was talking about you know the, this push to get to an electronic world so that um, we can benefit from. Uh, artificial intelligence essentially you know where where you know the because of the um the, the nature in which these these programs are set up they can assist with the adjudication process uh and and helping to speed up very clear um cases where there's no doubt that it's you know it would be approved if it went to a live human and um although he didn't get into that much detail within his his evidence that he was providing um he talked about you know this this whole world of online and 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 how difficult it is for people when you're wrestling with these lengthy processing times having no ability to talk to anyone and no mechanism for determining where things are at and mm-hmm. you know and there were suggestions made that maybe even there should be uh, a mechanism for counsel to be able to access the same information that you would get from an ATIP, which we which we do all the time, and it makes perfect sense to me. So, you know, in the context of the OINP, it's it's one thing to have lengthy processing times, and let's face it, if you have a large volume of people that are all trying to clamor for just a few allocations, well, it is what it is. Resources will only allow so many applications to be processed, and once they are, then people are going to have to wait, or the program will close, like like it has right now for the base streams. And so, yes, you know, so I, I think people, they understand, you know, if there's more people applying and there's only so many spots, but it's the uncertainty and not knowing exactly where things are at. And plus, if you can see that, you know, that when you submit, there's already 20, you know, 2,500 people in front of you and there's only a thousand spots left to be allocated for the, for that fiscal year, then maybe you're going to think twice about putting your application in, which will help with program volumes as it is. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very, very interesting dynamic and it will be, um, it'll be really interesting to see what the Ontario program decides to do. Okay. Well, Sarah, let's shift gears a little bit here. You had mentioned that the program was moving to more of an online system. Can you share a little insight on that? Absolutely, Mark. Um, So basically, everybody who's using the program now needs to register for an online account with the province of Ontario. And that account is called a one key account. So it's O-N-E dash key account. And um, if you just Google that, it will take you straight to the page where you can register. So what's important about that is um, for representatives, immigration representatives, clients also must have one of these one key accounts. Um, Now, it's a little unfortunate for 
you know, situations where essentially there's already an authorized representative on the express entry profile. Unfortunately, the requirement here with the province is that um, the representative is confirmed a second time by the client, essentially. So um, you could get a notification of interest for an express entry, the Ontario express entry stream through your representative's account for your client. And at that time, then, if you hadn't done so in advance, it can be done in advance. Both you and the client would need to register for this one key account. Um, so essentially, you register for it, you would put in the information about your client, and then your client needs to confirm that you're their representative. So Once I'm assuming that's, that's a pretty, it's a fairly instantaneous process as long as your client's paying attention to the emails coming back to them, I guess. Yeah, it's been, I think that part has been reasonably okay to a certain degree. There have been a lot of technical issues with the um, Ontario um, new online system. So there is a sort of um, a technical tips um, document on their website. So their website is really, there's a there's a news page on their website um, and that's that's on the Ontario um the Opportunities Ontario website. We can. I'll, I'll send you on the link after uh, after the podcast, so that you can pop it online. Um, but basically, that that provides a lot of information, sort of to deal with technical issues. And there is an email address that you can use on there too if you're encountering issues, because um, the the timing is quite tight for filing these online applications. Initially, it was only going to be seven days. Um, but due to the technical issues that they've had, they've actually extended it to 14 days. Um, now, I don't know whether they intend to ever go back to the seven days, but at, at this time, you have 14 days to file. So essentially, once your client confirms that you're their representative, the clock starts to tick. Wow. Um, yeah. So when you go and look on that online um, system as a, in, in its current version, they're already working on you know their next versions of the system and and hopefully we'll see improvements with each new version that's rolled out um but in the current version there is no sort of um indication there as to how much time you have remaining before you can file so that's just uh, something to watch out for um what basically is going to happen now um last year under the ontario human capital priority stream so that's the express entry program related stream um where an individual basically already has to be in the pool. Uh, they have to have the equivalent of a Canadian bachelor's degree. They have to be eligible for the CEC or the Federal Skilled Worker Program. They have to have indicated an interest in not um, immigrating to Ontario, and they have to have 400 points or more. Um, for someone in that stream, um, once you get a notification of interest, it used to it used to expire after 45 days. So you needed to get moving and get your OIMP application filed within 45 days. Now it's changed. It's actually valid for six months. Ah. But, um, but as I just mentioned, mm. once this registration process commences, you actually only have 14 days now to file the OINP application. So you really sort of need to have everything ready. Mm. Now, if you were to be in a situation where you just missed your 14 days, your notification of interest hasn't expired, so you could apply again, except for the fact that the way the program is going to operate this year is that they're going to put halts on the program, you know, when they receive a certain number of applications. So they may not have hit their cap for the year, but they're just trying to manage their 
um, their load. So this is part of the rationale behind increasing uh, the validity from 45 days to six months. But it could be really detrimental for your client. You know, if you sort of you miss that 14 day cutoff and you're just unfortunate enough that they then they then announce a pause and mm. um, you know you're 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 essentially then out of luck until they hopefully reopen the program. And when they um, when they opened they opened the Ontario Human Capital Stream along with the Masters and PhD programs on the 21st of February. And even though they didn't give a specific number of spots for master's or PhD stream, they got enough applications that they um, they put a pause on on the acceptance of applications to those streams within a couple of days of wow. um, February 21st. So it really did fill up quickly. So while they're not you know publicly making that information available, they obviously are measuring it in some um, to some extent behind the scenes. Hmm. Now, just to clarify something, so when I submit. <clears throat> excuse me, an application through our representative portal, uh, I have a nice little countdown number that shows me how many days left I have before that particular profile expires. And you're saying with the Ontario program, there is no countdown. So just, you know, if you're not paying attention one day, it'll be there. And then the next it's, you're blocked. That's my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had that happen yet. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, this is a fairly new system. It's it's not even been active now. This particular program, it only um, became active last month. Yeah. Um, but that is exactly how it has been explained. And the reason why they extended from the seven days to the 14 days is because there were a whole lot of technical issues and people were unable to file, even though they were trying frantically to file within that seven days. But right now, essentially, you really do need to make sure that you're you're tracking that. And I know that the OIMP has taken feedback on board, you know, in terms of um, introducing some sort of a countdown timer, but um, in the current version, there isn't one. Well, you know, I think even us trying to access the employer portal yesterday, we had all kinds of problems and delays and everything. It was not pleasant for us uh, from our end here. And so no matter what world you're in with online filing, that's just, a, you know, that that's going to happen. So yeah, to have a, a narrow window of seven days to file is is a complete application is pretty scary. It is, it is, um, and 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 it's pretty it's pretty stressful. I mean, when you go into to complete it, basically there are um, there are many tabs, and you can complete them in whatever order you like. So if you started working on an application for a client and you had some of the information but not other information, you can at least get started on filling out all the different tabs that you already have the information for, just in terms of trying to move it along. Um, But uh, certainly it's quite a different process to how it was before. Hmm. So when you're completing that information online, um, and I'm just trying to wrap my mind around, you know, our world of employer portal where we cannot print off a nice little... Uh, sheet with all of the answers to the questions and everything. Is that the same case with the Ontario Immigrant Nominee Programs online filing? No, they actually have a summary. <laughs> you get to the end, there is a summary, which is a really nice addition, uh, which we love to have also on the uh, on the IRCC systems. But uh, I do believe that they're working on that, Mark. Yeah. So hopefully, you know. Um, something else that's kind of neat is that they recognize implied status, so they actually have a little like box where you can check off oh. implied status. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, that seems like progress. It's interesting um, how some of those features that you just take for granted, well, you would assume that would just be included. Uh, the, the Ontario program has done that, but 
the one entity, uh, IRCC, who you'd think would actually have enough foresight to recognize these things would be valuable, it doesn't exist. So uh, right. interesting. Absolutely. So no, that was that that was definitely positive news. Um, Excellent. Is there anything else that you can share about the online system? Does that pretty much cover it? I think I think that largely covers it. I mean, I the the tip sheet is definitely something that's key, and um and and I will share that with you, Mark. It's available also on the website. Sure. Uh, keeping an eye on their website is also it's the only real source of um of you know, up-to-date news. They don't have an RRS feed or, or a mailing list or anything like that. And while it's, again, something that they're working on, it's not a priority for them right now because they're one of their biggest priorities is to get this employer-driven stream, you know, um, online uh, and active again. So definitely the website, you need to be checking that website on a regular basis. Perfect. So can you offer any any other tips or, you know, maybe common areas that people, you know, traditionally screw up when they're going through this process? Do you have any suggestions or, or thoughts on that? Any tips or strategies for avoiding some of the pitfalls that people commonly face when they're going through uh, the Ontario Immigrant Nominee Program? Well, I mean, they, they are very particular about their documentary requirements and, you know, situations where one of the requirements is that you submit an entire copy of your passport every single page and sometimes you know a blank page just gets missed so it's really important I know this seems very sort of basic but it is very important to double check that every single page is in there because they will refuse an entire application on that basis they there's no sort of um, leniency there in terms of them just giving you time to submit that single blank page and wow. um, for the, an issue that was occurring for students uh, with the job offer was that they needed to be within two years of having graduated from their course at the time of the nominee application. But because um, province was being so slow on the employer end, that was causing issues because, you know, through no fault of their own, there were students who were it was more than where it was more than two years uh, since they'd graduated by the time they were in a position to submit their nominee application because the employer needed to be approved before they were able to submit that nominee application and that's something where they have sort of relaxed the rules on now that program is closed right now but essentially the program closed in may but for applications that were already in process they're still ongoing um so maybe when that moves online, this will no longer be an issue, but that certainly ha- was a problem before that caused people a lot of concern. So the fact that they relaxed the rules a bit um, there is a positive. Another one is that if the individual um, is not in Ontario, the employer needs to show recruitment efforts. And there aren't very there aren't clear guidelines out there in terms of what are acceptable recruitment efforts. So that can cause a lot of frustration. Um, because even in cases sometimes where employers have really done everything they possibly can and say followed ESDC's recruitment guidelines, which are um, are pretty extensive, you know, they, 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 there are still cases where those applications um, are being refused and, you know, being refused on the basis of the advertising not being adequate or the employer not having shown adequate efforts to show that there are no qualified Canadians for the role. But... Um, they're not giving any guidance on that either. So again, some of this feedback has been provided to the province and and the hope is that it will be taken on board and that there will be improvements there in the future. Hmm. 
That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's really difficult to advise our clients when we don't know the case that we need to meet. And uh, I can only imagine how difficult it would be trying to follow what we believe is the most onerous system uh, or process in place for recruitment, you know, through ESDC and meeting their obligations. It's hard to it's hard to imagine how meeting those would be insufficient for the purposes of the OINP. Yeah, and maybe just that there isn't sort of that level of um, that um, sort of expertise there, or reluctance on the province to make that call. But if it's a requirement of their program, it becomes very, very difficult when you sort of feel like you're going around in circles and employers are doing everything they can to try and, you know, meet the program's requirements. But if those requirements aren't clear, it really just it's not a good it's not it's not a good system for anybody. And obviously, there's a lot of efforts on both sides, you know, a lot of time and effort going into it. So, um, so that's definitely um, a, progr- a current program flaw um, that hopefully w- they will improve on in the future. Something else, I mean, it, the processing fees are quite high in Ontario. So the um, the processing fees for the express entry streams are $1,500. And um, right now under the human capital stream, you have to have 400 points or more to even receive a notification of interest. And as we know um, recently, which is great, the, the, the express entry um, cutoff in terms of the points in each of the draws to receive an invitation to apply um, are on a downward tra- trajectory. And so um, it's, it's hard to know, you know, based on, on the current criteria, whether this program is going to be um, all that appealing because what I mean it, it traditionally it has been slow so as I said some of these applications have taken 10 to 11 months to um, complete last year um, it ha- there's the additional cost the $1,500 cost and, and various you know you have to get it you have to have um, your ECA submitted directly to the OINP there's lots of there's just lots of little nuances a lot of additional effort involved and essentially if an applicant receives um, a an invitation to apply while the OIMP application is in process, even if that application was only submitted last week, so there's a good chance processing has not commenced, there's no refund of that processing fee. So, um, you know, that that really, um, that that can cause some, well, it's just, it's not, it's not a great aspect to the program. I mean, I understand if the application is already in processing, that the processing fee is going to apply, but really if the application is just sitting there waiting to be put into the queue and the indiv- and the individual gets an ITA in the interim, it seems kind of unfair that you can't just withdraw. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you think about it. So right now, 400 is the, that's kind of the cutoff for consideration under human capital. Is that, is that the, the way it's structured? Yes, that's correct. Not for the French-speaking stream, but for the French-speaking stream, you do need to um, have both French and English. So you'll be you'll be getting points for two languages, and you need to have the equivalent of a bachelor's degree. So realistically, a lot of people will be scoring close to that anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. And then when you look at the just the general express entry CRS, when it's you know it's dropped, I think four thirty-four, I believe right. is the is the lowest one to date. And if four hundred is the cutoff. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who, well, between 400 and 434, that, that gap is slowly, or that, that pool of eligible candidates that wouldn't otherwise be drawn through the traditional express entry route is, is shrinking. So it'll be curious to see if they reallocate or, you know, or, or lower that, you know, that bar for consideration. 
Well, I mean, at the moment, um, a lot of the um, tradespeople are at such a disadvantage in Express Entry, and there is a need for um, a lot of skilled trades um, persons in Ontario. So, I mean, this is an opportunity for the province as well, if they were to look at it that way, in terms of even just creating either a separate stream or changing their criteria somewhat. But nothing has happened in that regard to date. Mm. Um, but certainly they are in the process of, you know, reviewing their program and trying to improve it. Um, also, I mean, there are, as we know, there are a lot of people in the pool who, senior executives who are, um, you know, they, they offer a multitude of benefits to Canada, but they aren't scoring highly because perhaps they don't have, um, they never went to university and they worked their way up. Um, yes. But at this, at this point, they're at a very high level. Uh, they, they're, they're not getting any points for age. Maybe you know their their language abil- their language is sufficient, but um, they're not scoring full marks on language. A whole lot of um, there are lots of different uh, factors like that, but those individuals are still like very strong candidates for immigration to Canada for various other reasons. So, I mean, there are opportunities I think for the program if they were to look at um, maybe just changing up their criteria somewhat. But this is uh, this is the way it is as of today as of today well this has been great sarah you know obviously this podcast is not really designed to go through a meticulous breakdown of all the program requirements we'll provide links um within the show notes to the actual website itself and people can go and review and determine what the requirements are for each of these different uh categories but i really appreciate the insight that you've given you know at more of a higher level and especially things to watch out for um you know, the, the fact that uh, when you're including passport pages all throughout immigration, it's it's only stamped pages that we need to include. So the fact that having a blank page could result in a, a, a kickback of an application is, um, yeah, that's that's some insight that's important to note. So thank you so much for sharing that. My pleasure, Mark. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me on the show. Now, if people say, hey... Um, I may just fit into one of these categories, but this whole process is just too overwhelming for me. I was listening to this fantastic podcast online, and I was listening to this fine um, Irish lawyer uh, named Sarah. I want to hire her to help me. How are th- what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, probably by email, Mark. So my email address is sfagan at mobilitylaw.com. So that's S-F-A-G-A-N at M-O-B-I-L-I-T-Y-L-A-W.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sarah. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks a million, Mark, and a happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, that's right. I, I totally neglected that. It is indeed St. Patrick's Day. Hopefully, I'll be able to get this released pretty quick <laughs> so we can we can benefit from that, uh, you know, that, that happy feeling that uh, resonated from this fine day. Uh, yeah, and I will, I hopefully, are you going to be at the National CBA Conference as well? I will. Well, I will. Well, I will see you there. Thanks a million, Mark. You bet. Take care. Take care. Have a good day. Yeah. And best best wishes in that in the new role. I hope it I hope it all goes well for you. Thanks so much, Sarah. All right. Take, Take care. care. Bye. Bye. Well, that interview with Sarah was awesome. I'm sure, um, as I indicated in the intro to the podcast, 
you found her story quite compelling in how she ended up ultimately um, securing a job within the a legal a, the legal field, starting as a uh, a server in a, in a breakfast um, kind of cafe, learning all about the different kinds of uh, uh, ways to prepare eggs. And uh, it's just fascinating. And she's just a delightful person. Uh, I've known Sarah for quite some time, and she's really, <clears throat> she's really uh, advancing through the ranks of, of immigration lawyers within the country and developing her own, um, uh, her own respect and, and admiration from her colleagues for the, the things that she does. And she's just, yeah, just a wonderful person. So it was wonderful to have her on the podcast. I am very pleased <clears throat> to have. Uh, a slate of just wonderful uh, guests that are going to be coming on in future episodes now that I've got my feet underneath me a little bit. Uh, One of them is Mario Bellissimo, who many of you are uh, aware of, a past chair of our National Immigration Section, and one of the true leaders in our field. Um, He's going to come and talk on an area that is very narrow, and uh, but very, very serious for for many, many immigrants, and that's the, the area of medical inadmissibility. So stay tuned for that one. That will come up in, in future podcasts. I'm looking forward to uh, connecting with, uh, with Mario. If you have any suggestions for topics for the podcast uh, or um, speakers that would, uh, would like to come and join me, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I will update my contact information within, uh, within the Canadian Immigration Podcast website. However, it is now, if you want to email me, uh, mholthy at stringham.ca. So S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M dot C-A. Uh, you can send me an email directly. Happy to um, field your, your, uh, your suggestions. And as always, the best thanks that you can give for listening to the podcast or for, I guess, the time that I put into producing it is to share it. Uh, I'd encourage you to go to iTunes, um, find it there, leave a review. Those reviews help with the ranking so that more people um, notice the the podcast. I'm super, super stoked that last month um, we released a few podcasts and it was right through a very busy transition period. But last month we had over 4,000 downloads. And uh, it just, it's unbelievable the, the support and the positive feedback that I get from really all sides of the equation, whether it's the, you know, the side from CBSA, immigration, um, very positive feedback from that front, as well as colleagues, immigration lawyers, um, consultants, individuals who listen to the podcast and, and feel like they're able to get something out of it. So that is super, super meaningful to me. And um, that's, that's pretty much the reward I'm looking for is, is just that it's of use, to, uh, of use to people and they're getting something out of it. Thanks once again for listening to the podcast. Hope you loved it and uh, tune in for, for the next podcast. But until that time, good luck everyone as you try to manage this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Oh, Canada, greatest country Here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast.